Hello again. <laughs> I have an announcement. Uh, Monday, September 3rd. No, that was when the announcement was sent. Yeah, that's today. On Saturday the 15th, <laughs> we're having a benefit, uh, an event. It's an Earth Day event uh, and uh, opening with a traditional Native American offering and honoring of the four directions over in the meadow. Speakers include James Barras, Julia Butterfly Hill, Jack Cornfield, Joanna Macy, Anam Tupton, and Belvi Rooks. So... Um, that should be a really interesting day here at Spirit Rock. Earth Day event. Every day should be Earth Day. We should hug the earth every single day, don't you think? Um, so today is not Earth Day. Today is Labor Day. And uh, I don't think we're all laborers. Labor is something that you do, you know, in blue collar and you get sweaty and dirt on, under your fingernails and, and you build things. And then uh, people who work come and work in those buildings that were built by the people who labored. So, but today, we're, today we're, we're celebrating labor, uh, labor organizers, union organizers, uh, all those people who over the centuries have learned how to make things really good, protecting all of us from nature, basically. And we should be so thankful because those laborers in the early part of this century, this last century, the one before the one we're in, uh, started a movement and they brought us the uh, the five-day week. We get two days off every seven days. That's unique. That's a gift. And uh, they brought us the eight-hour work day. They gave us all this leisure time to meditate. We should really be grateful to them. Um, anyway, I want to share with you a political kind of rant. It's not a out-and-out out endorsement or taking sides or anything. It's just kind of a uh, an overview of what's happening now, a way to think about it, perhaps. And uh, I wrote this for KPFA, uh, Pacifica Radio, so I thought I'd share it with you as well. Heads up, all you workers of the world. Just lay down that hammer and plow. Turn off that iPhone and then wave your union flag from the top of your corporate headquarters and sing solidarity forever. But while our politicians are saying that we need to make America great again, I'm here to state that America is already great. The hard work is over. What we need to do now is make America like totally great. 
by leading the world into an era of sustainability, an era of sanity, ease, peace. With that in mind, I have a plan. And it may sound crazy, but follow me. I think the best thing the United States could do at this moment in history is go to the United Nations and announce to the world that we would like to resign as a superpower. From now on, we want to be known as just an ordinary nation, happy-go-lucky nation. The whole world would applaud us, and it would be great for us citizens. We wouldn't have to work so hard keeping a superpower economy going. We wouldn't have to spend a half a trillion dollars a year on our military forces. And there's no shame in losing our superpower status. Looking at history, we see superpowers or empires like ours coming and going over and over. It was just a few decades ago that the Brits were proud to say the sun never sets on the British Empire. Now it's just those few little islands in the cold North Atlantic. The sun never even rises on the British Empire. And all the empires seem to follow the same trajectory. In his book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Edward Gibbon writes, The cause of Rome's decline lies in her bloated and overextended military, her widespread economic and political corruption, her public apathy and hedonism, her addiction to and dependence on foreign resources. Sound familiar? That's because it happens the same way every time. But remember, friends, that Rome wasn't built in a day, and it didn't decline in a day either. And a lot of Roman citizens probably didn't even notice it was happening. And a few centuries later, they started calling themselves Italians. (laughs) They seem to be doing fine today. Besides, this would be the world's first intentional decline and fall. So to help us make the transition from superpower to ordinary nation... The government could set up public works projects like the Roosevelt-era New Deal. Only this time we try the New Age New Deal. Because we really don't need a stimulus package. We need a sedative package. (laughs) I propose a five-year plan. My apologies to Chairman Mao. Let's call it the Great Leap Backward. So, for instance, the government would start a department of meditation and therapy, which would set up deprogramming centers around the country and teach hyperactive American workers how to be less productive members of a less productive society. The government would pay people by the hour just to work on themselves. The whole nation could use the mantra, enough, enough, we've got enough stuff, enough, (laughs) enough. The government could put unemployed construction workers back to work on disassembly lines where they would take apart the cars, separate the steel back into ores, and shovel it all back into the ground again. (laughs) We could free ourselves from the curse of our lives, the private automobile. Meanwhile, the Army Corps of Engineers could be put to work taking apart dams, letting rivers run free. What a glorious national task it will be under the slogan, Making the World Safe for Nature. The government should also set up a department of wisdom. Not another intelligence agency, but an actual department of wisdom, staffed by philosophers, poets, jesters, and mystics, people who see the world from a different angle. Finally, as we make our transition from superpower to ordinary nation, we'll need some foreign revenue to keep our currency afloat. So let's do what we do better than anyone else on the planet. Entertain. 
That's right. The whole world loves American entertainment. So as we announce that we are resigning as a superpower, we simultaneously invite the rest of the world to come and witness this historic moment, the world's first intentional decline and fall. We announce that we are opening up the entire country as one vast theme park called formerly Great America. (laughs) The downhill rides would be spectacular. So keep the faith, my friends. We will all have to make some big changes. History predicts it, and nature is demanding it. But we can make the United States totally great by leading the world into an era of sustainability, an age of less construction and less consumption, and less of just about everything you can think of. What the world needs now is less. So stay relaxed, do what you can, and don't forget to love each other on the way. So, no, 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 it's okay. <laughs> I'm, I used to be on radio. I'm used to not hearing any immediate response. I think we're all, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound too grandiose about it, but I think we're all in the forefront of a revolution uh, trying to uh, understand ourselves better and learn how to be content with the present moment. Uh, it's exactly what the, what the world needs right now. It needs for us humans to cut back on our continual wheels of desire that are just eating away at the planet. And for the most part, we're oblivious. We don't hear uh, nearly enough of, of the the depth and the concern that people uh, are, are feeling who watch these things and who study these movements and here's a here's something I'd like to read to you all parts of the earth are built over trampled full of commerce farms and fields drive back the forests even rocks are cultivated Swamps are drained. Yesterday's towns, today's towns outnumber yesterday's houses. Everywhere on earth are residences, peoples, governments, and human growth now so clogs the world it can barely support us. And as our needs increase, we struggle with each other for them, and nature fails us. That was written by the Roman historian Terulian in 150 A.D., just for some perspective and also just a a look at uh, how humans are continually doing this you know uh, sort of eating ourselves into a corner this is from my friend Joanna Macy who uh, I teach with here uh, every so often she says there's no technological fix or no magic bullet that can save us from the effects of population explosion, deforestation, climate disruption, pollution, species extinctions. She says, we are going to have to want different things, seek different pleasures, pursue different goals than those that have been driving us in our global economy. That's a radical thing to say. We're going to have to want different things Seek different pleasures. Pursue different goals. 
sitting is a revolutionary act. Meditation is a radical statement. Plus, you don't make any more hot air, you know, but it's a way of stating that you have seen your own mind, the wheels of desire and fear and aggression, and and that you are trying to wake up in it and uh, make it something more livable. <laughs> a revolutionary act. I do not believe that a multiplication of desires and machinery contrived to supply, supply them is taking the world a single step nearer to its goal. I detest this mad desire to destroy distance and time, to increase appetites, and go to the ends of the earth in search of their satisfaction. If modern civilization stands for all this, and I have understood it to do so, I call it satanic. Mohandas Gandhi. One problem is we not only have a lot to desire in our world, but uh, we can fulfill many of our desires. The Dalai Lama visited Berkeley a few years ago and gave a sobering speech telling the assembled graduating classes, prepare your mind to know that life is not easy. And he cited our Western uh, desire for perfection and our high expectations of life as the root cause of our discontent. And uh, Sokni Rinpoche calls it high-class suffering. The first noble truth is so powerful when you realize what it's saying, you know, that uh, suffering is everywhere. Dissatisfaction. Uh, periods of non-safety, non-feeling safe. It's everywhere. A number of years ago, in a moment of weakness, I finally took the great American vow. I said it out loud several times. Desires are endless. I vow to satisfy them all. (laughs) I call it the baddie sattva vow. Baddie sattva vow, get it? But the first noble truth can be seen as an antidote to the idealism of the American dream, a balm to all of us who grew up with such great expectations. The noble first truth tells us that our failure to live happily ever after is not our fault, but due to the conditions of life. In that way, the first noble truth is an agent of mercy. And this is so... uh, so appropriate for what's going on in the world today. This is Martin Luther King. The developed industrialized nations of the world cannot remain secure islands of prosperity in a seething sea of poverty. The storm is rising against the privileged minority of the earth from which there is no shelter in isolation and armament. The storm will not abate until a just distribution of the fruits of the earth enables people everywhere to live in dignity and human decency. Hmm. 
And part of what can bring us to a new sensitivity to the state of the world, the state of nature, is if we really see that we are part of it all. When we're breathing in, a, in meditation, I like to point out to people that you're breathing along with eight billion other people. They're actually taking breaths at the same time you are. All these animals, all the plant kingdom, every, every plant is breathing with you. It's a single organism. And meditation practice can really help us realize that and feel it and experience it in our bodies and in our emotional life. And it makes us feel a, a part of the world, co-arising with the world, rather than set apart, you know, separate, better than it all. We still have this idea, even after we've seen, I think it's the latest estimate is 20 to 30 billion trillion stars. 20 to 30 billion trillion stars. Even after we've seen that, we can say it was all made just for us which is our sort of ongoing uh, uh, view of things. The arrogance. But this is not to say that there's not uh, great value here. The value may be in just being in awe of, of the phenomena of life and letting it happen through you. Okay, one more quote, and then we'll, we'll take a couple calls. Calls. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay. A human being is part of the universe. We experience thoughts and feelings as something, as something separate, a kind of optical delusion of our consciousness. This delusion is a prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for just a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of love and compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. That was Albert Einstein. And you know if Albert Einstein says it, it's got to be true. <laughs> high class suffering. Do you have high class suffering? What, what could you give up? Sometimes make a trip through your house and say, oh, I don't need that anymore. I don't need that anymore. I sometimes am perplexed. They're not, not perplexed, just kind of, oh my God. Uh, you walk down the street, you realize every single house has a washing machine and a washer, clothes washer, dryer, and, I, and every single house has, uh, has all these electrical appliances. Why couldn't everybody share one particular set of machines? I mean, not that that's going <laughs> to change the whole equation of our of our difficulties and and our resources uh, in our resources, but uh, 
It's just a, a puzzling thing. We want our own. We want, and, our, and the private automobile, oh my God. I mean, for a while it kind of was neat and driving around those big old things, you know. Henry, before Henry Ford, and then Henry Ford got the assembly line going, and now look what we have. It's a mess out there. It's crazed. Everybody has to be in their own little box of steel and plastic. As if, you know, there was, I don't know, something private they had to do on the way to work. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, we'll be okay. We're going we're gonna to make it. Or go out trying. Uh, remarks, comments, questions? You want us to resign as a superpower, anybody? No? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, thank you. Um, I was just going to say that uh, for me, it's constantly amazing to me how little it takes to actually do something really positive that has a huge impact. Like sometimes when I take a walk in the morning, I'll just like pick up one piece of trash, even though there might be a hundred pieces in front of me. I'll pick up one little one and I don't see like the ripple effect of it. Like I would if something negative happened, I can usually tell, oh, you know, feel the pain of something negative happening right away. But when I do the positive thing, I don't feel that effect until kind of later on. It kind of shows up in a really beautiful and un, like surprising way. Uh-huh. But one way I've been thinking about how to kind of get myself into doing positive things more is to try to imagine what the next person's experience is going to be like of that sidewalk, say, where there isn't an extra piece of trash. And what won't go through their head is, oh my God, there's a hundred pieces of trash here. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. That's it's great. like the little teeny, teeny things like have mm-hmm. huge ripple effects. And that's how I don't get overwhelmed with, oh my God, look how horrible the world is. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Great. I, I had a friend who used to pick up uh, all the bottle caps that, that he saw. Sometimes he was very slow to walk with. He was always, there are a lot of them out there. Now that's beautiful, little things. No, this played uh, Thursday night on KPFA. The Bonnie Simmons Show. Um, I I don't think they put the transcript on the if you give me your your email address I'll send it to you I had a really interesting experience with my mother who is who will be 93 next month Uh, we took away her car in the last uh, few weeks and I think she went through withdrawal symptoms she got her license in 1941 she actually drove across the United States in 1943 with a friend of hers I think that's when it was kind of fun and uh, 
But as I said, it, it was like taking the keys away from a drunk. You know, they, they want to... She knew she had to give up the car, but, oh. then, but then when she didn't have it anymore, she kind of freaked out. It, it, there was a, there's a lot of um, uh, attached to independence and freedom. It was a fascinating, uh, it, was, it was actually a complete hassle. <laughs> and I almost gave up at one point, just here, take the car back. But I don't think that Marin County would have been any safer with <laughs> driving around. Actually, it was a good thing that we took the car. But the, as you say, the, the single occupancy vehicle is truly the bane of civilization. <laughs> and it was just an interesting... Um, and then I realized how attached I am, you know. I mean, I ride my bike as much as possible, but I'm still attached to my car. Thank you. There's one, two here. Thank you. Hi, Wes. Hi. Um, I'm wondering if you could speak a bit about free will versus divine unfolding. And a little context for me is... Um, my, I forgot how you said it, first class privilege perspective um, has me listening as best I can to life and to the divine as a north star of answering those big questions of who am I and what am I doing here um, and how can I choose in a way that might allow for the natural expression of the possibility of me to be in its fullest. And so with that, there's always this dance that I notice I'm in of, you know, taking that into action into this physical world into creating ripples and then surrendering to when things maybe go in a different direction. So I'd love to just hear whatever you have to say about that. <laughs> We need a whole other session to, if free, if free will gets into it, you know. Uh, Isaac Besheva Singer was asked if he believed in free will. He said, I have no choice. Uh, it's, it, the Buddha says, you know, don't try to figure out your karma. It'll just make you crazy. Because if you think about all of the events and the circumstances and that led to the, this moment of your experience, it's just so vast and so uh, plentiful. You know, you could never isolate uh, any one particular force. So surrender becomes the answer, and surrender into the mystery, and in fact, make the mystery uh, sort of alive for you. And everybody's got the mystery in them. Everybody. It's doing the doing the best they can, and uh, nobody knows what's going on. If somebody tells you they know what's going on, just not say great, good for you. I'm sorry. That's that's as much as I can come up with. Uh, there was somebody over there that uh, that's okay.
I just want to say that I'm enjoying this very much. And um, I often find myself, as I paint, because I'm an artist, and I find myself in the hunt of painting, thinking about the universe, as you said to begin with, how it's spinning and we don't even have to hang on. And um, I, I also think about the arc of infinite time um, with all the problems that we have in the world that we know of and just how we all randomly managed to get plunked down now where we are. And um, I find that the privilege of being awake to all of it and um, just finding myself there and, and wanting to get into the essence of being alive, I find that I, I walk differently and just notice more and it winds up being more of a joyful experience, I think, not just for me, but hopefully the people that I managed to kind of bump into, like, you know, the particles we are. So. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I say sometimes that I I don't have any name for God except the artist formerly known as God. <laughs> There's a great Buddhist uh, story about the Buddha feeding his son, Rahula. And uh, he s- takes a spoonful of salt and says, now Rahula, if you take this put the salt in a glass of water, the water's going to turn real salty if you taste it. If you take that same uh, teaspoon of salt and put it in the Ganges River, the Ganges River will not change its taste. It'll still uh, taste the same. And probably not too good. (laughs) But it's sort of, it's a, parable about you know how you can sort of dissolve in those big perspectives you can lose that intense identification with your personal story and everything's about me and me and me and there's a more of a sense of feeling connected yeah that's what we all want we all want to feel connected Yeah. Hi, Wes. Um, your talk uh, really resonated with me, and I was just um, along the lines of making America ordinary again. Um, how can... <laughs> no, great, great. <laughs> no, I like I like the uh, ordinary the yeah. decline of of the American Empire. But um, how can uh, the spiritual path help us uh, release some of these uh, ideas of uh, of privilege that that seem to perpetuate? some of the suffering that you're talking about. How can Dharma practice help us right, dissolve some of those regards, feelings? Especially in regards to uh, some of the privilege that exists in our country right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's the agreement you come to with yourself about the extent to which you will indulge in the in the in the dominant culture's ideas of you know owning and and succeeding and what all that means and you know it's it's hard to it's hard to lay down a a law 
you know, you'll only go this far. I think that, you know, what Joanna Macy was referring to when she said we have to, we'd have to learn how to want different things, that if you begin to do this Dharma practice and begin to find that sweet spot where, you know, the mind really is sort of settled and very free, and it's as good as any experience I've had in this life, and and that that you start to get your sustenance and your delight from looking and just sitting and, and, and looking at yourself and looking at the mystery and, you know, that's, uh, that becomes enough. And then we stop trying to manipulate the universe to fit our, all our desires because we're, we're okay. Okay, one, one, one more over there. Two more. I'm supposed to wave at the uh, people who are getting... I'm getting streamed, by the way, which sounds like something rather unpleasant, but... <laughs> Try it sometime. <laughs> um, I'm an educator and uh, have been for half a century... I wonder if you have any thoughts about how that might be dismantled. Like it's happening now? You mean the, the education system? As part, as part of the undoing of what we've created that perpetuates the system in which we're embedded. And what? And I'm sorry. What? What is your question around that? How? How? How would you envision education transforming itself so that we are less embedded in the pursuit of our greatness? Mm-hmm. I don't. And there, there's, you know, all probably all sorts of plans and programs. I saw an interesting story on 60 Minutes last night where. Princeton University is uh, starting a affirmative action in reverse and bringing in people who people who can't pay and uh, other uh, ethnic groups. Uh, a diverse, they're looking to create a diverse campus. This is Princeton, and that it just it followed a group of students for a couple of years, I think. But anyway, that was. Very inspiring. I didn't have any more. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, okay, one more and then two more, one more, two more. Are, Are we having fun yet? Yeah? This is fun, isn't it? Sitting around and chewing the fat. I have a mic. People of a certain age, I have a new term for us. We, when we see each other, we we're, we're geezing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, I'm listening to somebody, you know, having to take a car away from their mom and. 
I'm the mom, you know, letting her son drive off to middle school. <laughs> so it's that cycle of life. But I'm, I'm watching my children go into these large, you know, thousand children schools outside of their kind of smaller communities. And there's that anxiety of... Am I good enough? And will they like me? And will I find my people? And it's really reverberating as their mom. And I'm just looking for ways in which I can slow down the back-to-school piece mm-hmm. of life here in Marin, anchor myself and anchor my children to just let go of what they don't need to hold on to and let their own path unfold. But I think when you're the mom and you say it, you're the dumbest person on earth. And I just would love just for something that I can bring back either for myself to then Mm -hmm. pass on to my children or for my or my children, to help them feel safe and good and whole. Maybe this is crazy advice, but see if you can get them to meditate with you for 10 minutes every day. Have a little sacred time every day. See if you can maybe make make some games out of it, you know. What was your last thought? Where where'd you, who, who thought that thought? Do, do playful, be playful like that and that could be really fun, useful. Maybe they might rebel, rebel and say, "Excuse me, I've got a video game here." <laughs> oh, you've been to my house. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, just sit for a few more minutes. Feel the energy in the body, the aliveness.
knowing of the aliveness. The mystery at the center of it all. It was a delight to be with all of you tonight. Happy Labor Day. Is that appropriate? Happy Labor Day? Happy non-Labor Day. It's a short week, thanks to the union members. So I'll see you on the path somewhere.